Dear God, we thank you for bringing us together on this Palm Sunday, whether we are in the same room together here at the Presbyterian College or whether we are together in spirit through Zoom. And uh, I pray that you would be with me as I speak, that your words would come out of my mouth and um, that we might learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. As is typical, I'd like to start with a question for you. And uh, so I think we have a slide. If the slide is working, great. If not, it's an easy question. The question is, when do you feel most alone? And you can just think about your answer to this. I don't need you to share it with the person next to you. But would you think about when do you feel most alone? I'll give you a moment to think about it. Everyone thought about it? In a way, I am as surprised as you to even be asking you that question today. When I signed up to preach a couple months ago, I thought to myself, Palm Sunday, sounds good. I can talk about the triumphal entry, big crowds. That will be uplifting before we go into the depths of Holy Week leading to the cross. I thought to myself, that's a pretty safe week to preach. Until I looked at the assigned scriptures for today. And what did I find? Well, after the Palm Gospel, all the assigned scriptures, we only read part of Luke, but altogether, for today it includes disciples falling asleep while Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, Jesus being arrested after his disciple Judas betrays him, his dear friend Peter disowning him three times, the guards mocking and beating Jesus, and then a sham trial before the Council of Elders. Then we have Herod and the soldiers ridiculing and mocking Jesus. We have his own people calling for him to be crucified when Pilate wants to release him. Then we have Jesus crucified with the common criminals while the people are sneering. Jesus asks his father on the cross, why have you forsaken me? And then for the end of the readings for today, we have Jesus dying on the cross. This is such a contrast to the people cheering and embracing Jesus on Palm Sunday. Now we're looking after the Last Supper, when Jesus is abandoned by his own disciples who can't stay away, when he's abandoned by his own people, and ultimately when he feels abandoned by God. And we hear these words that he speaks on the cross that fulfill the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Clearly, we have a different theme to work with today than the triumphal entry. And what comes out to me is this word absence the feeling of the absence of God. So today I want to focus on talking about the feeling of the absence of God. We're going to look at both Psalm 22 and also Jesus praying in the garden, asking for this cup to be taken from him while the disciples are fast asleep. So let's look more at the suffering Jesus experiences when he feels abandoned by his father, by the disciples, because I believe that we also 
suffer the most when we feel abandoned, when we feel alone. So let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane after Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples, with his closest friends and followers, after they have a petty argument about who is the greatest, after he predicts Peter's denial, after all that, Jesus leaves with the disciples and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it seems that Jesus prayed here often, but he did know this would be the last time before his death. And we have this slide for you to show you. This is a Andrea Mantegna painted it in the late 1450s called The Agony in the Garden. So I want to, oh, could you go back, please? Back. So I want to set the scene with this painting. It's nighttime. It's probably dark. I would say darker than this painting shows. <laughs> it's probably very quiet. You might hear the sounds of some insects, maybe the haunting call of a night bird. And this would be a familiar place for Jesus, which might offer him some comfort. But he also knows what's coming. He knows there will be suffering. And so he wants to go off to pray on his own. But first, he says to the disciples, please pray, pray you won't enter into temptation. Jesus goes off, he finds a dark corner of the garden, and he falls to his knees. And even though he has come to do the Father's will, he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this isn't just a polite little prayer. His father hears his anguish and he sends an angel from heaven to come and comfort him. And we have this in our next slide, which is uh, how Rembrandt imagined the angel coming to comfort him. Yeah, it's, it's darker here. And Luke tells us that the angel strengthens Jesus. So the angel strengthens Jesus and then what? Well, Jesus doesn't stop praying. Even though the angel came, he's still in agony. He's suffering. He knows what's coming. And so what does he do? Well, he prays more earnestly. He prays so earnestly that the sweat forms on him like great drops of blood that fall to the ground. When Jesus rises from this time of prayer, he goes over to his disciples we can leave this slide up until I tell you. As Jesus, he writes, oh, <laughs> I know it's hard today. When Jesus rises from that time of prayer, he goes over to his disciples, and he finds that his disciples are not praying, as he had asked, but they are sleeping for sorrow. And those are two words I'd actually never noticed in this passage before. They are sleeping for sorrow. It's not that they don't love him, but they have such sorrow that they've fallen asleep and they've abandoned him in prayer. And soon Peter abandons him again when he denies him three times. And all this time, Jesus knows that he is one step closer to the cross, where he won't just suffer in his body or suffer a physical death, but he'll suffer the great sorrow of feeling abandoned by his father. God. And on the cross, he will utter these words, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? And I think the depth of this abandonment is striking. It's mysterious, almost unfathomable. So to look at it from another side, let's move to Psalm 22. If we could bring up this next slide. Jesus starts, he speaks these words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And later, the psalmist gives us this poetic imagery to help us understand just how miserable he was. If we go to the next slide. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. We can just leave this slide up now until I tell you. And we can see that the psalmist, not only does he feel abandoned, he's empty. A picture of broken pot that used to be full to the brim of water. And now it's just a jagged little piece of broken pot. It's a pot shirt. And I actually have a pot shirt here to show you. This is from a bowl that uh, my great aunt and uncle used to have. I was quite close to them, and I inherited it when they died. It's a beautiful bowl, and a few years ago, it broke. And I, I've kept it because I'm hoping I can glue it back together again. But right now, it's just a pot shirt. And I think we've all gone through times in our lives where we feel like this, just a pot shirt. <laughs> You know, we're poured out like water, we're broken, our heart is melted and feels weak within us. But this is not the whole story. The Jewish people of Jesus' time would have memorized the Psalms. So when Jesus said the first verse on the cross, they would think of the whole Psalm. And that Psalm was about more than just being abandoned by God. If we look at the Psalms, we can see they're generally either about the absence of God or the presence of God. And we call the Psalms that focus on the absence of God, we call them Psalms of Lament. And in the Psalms of Lament, the psalmist cries out, he bears everything before his God, cries out for help. And the Psalms of Lament leave nothing unsaid, which can be quite shocking to us as a modern audience, where we tend to focus on the good news, on how Jesus has saved us. But the Jewish people who understood the scriptures and understood that praying these psalms with all these gritty details about life and about how God seems absent from their lives, they would have known that that was crucial to the honest dialogue of faith. So Psalm 22 here is most certainly a psalm of lament. It's a brutally honest prayer from the very depths of life, from the depths of a hard life. And when I was preparing for the sermon, um, Scott, my husband, shared a, a great book with me, and it's called Psalms, Reading and Studying the Book of Praises by W.H. Bellinger, Jr. 
I highly recommend it if you want to learn more about the songs. It, it made so much sense to me. It really helped me understand why the psalms were so important then and why they're so important now. Because as Bellinger says, the absence of God is an important dimension, again, in this honest dialogue of faith. In Psalm 22, we see that the writer is sick. He's scorned. He's near death. And this crowning blow is the perceived absence of God. But what did that writer do? Well, he brings his lament to God in the sanctuary, into the holy place. And his lament demands that God relate to all of his life, not just to the times of plenty, but to this time of crisis. And this is the honest dialogue in the life of faith. So we see here that the psalmist is not weak and weary. He's bold and he's tough. Because even in times of trial, he's bringing this to God. As Bellinger says, an honest faith acknowledges life's realities. And this gives me such peace, knowing that we can bring everything to our Father, even when we feel alone. We can't avoid pain. We can't deny it. And these Psalms of Lament really accept pain as a significant part of life, as an intrinsic part of life. But here's the important part. They bring that pain to God. They put that pain in context. They put it in the context of faith in God. And admitting that pain in a public way becomes part of their public worship, as they would have said these songs in the temple just as we have included prayers of lament over the past few weeks in our prayers of the people. We can't ignore that pain. We have to acknowledge it and move through it. And when we do, our faith becomes a powerful resource in the battle of pain, in that battle of feeling the absence of God. However, as we all know, it's risky to acknowledge hurt it's risky to express pain, but we need to give everything back to God, including our pain. And this psalm of lament really sets an example for us, giving that pain back to God, crying out in our grief. And the psalmist, he looks to his God for healing. In verse 19, he calls out for God to help him. That's our next slide. Verse 19, he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, come to my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then there's quickly a shift in the psalmist's words. We could have the next slide, please. Where he says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Did you hear that? By bringing his lament to God, 
the psalmist realizes that God has not hidden his face from him, but he heard him when he cried to him. Even though he felt forsaken and alone, even though he felt abandoned by God, he now recognizes that God heard him when he cried to him. And I think there's such promise in those words, the promise that God turns to us, he turns his face to us and he hears us. Even when we cry out from the depths of our grief, grief that can be so messy and complicated. So when Jesus cries out the first line of Psalm 22 on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Jewish people who understood the scriptures would remember all of Psalm 22, not just that first line. They would have thought of that whole psalm where the psalmist works through his grief to recognize that God is with him and God is listening to him. Just as his father was listening to Jesus in the garden and he sent an angel to strengthen him. And if we look at the rest of Psalm 22, it's full of promises. Promises of the presence of God. Promises that God will deliver all the people. If we could bring up the next slide, please. In verses 27 and 28, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Here is Jesus on the cross, dying for all people to save them. And he has this psalm on his lips. We have to remember the whole story. It's not just about asking why we have been forsaken. It's also about resolution and redemption. Our God does not abandon us, just as he didn't abandon his son. Indeed, we see that Jesus ultimately knew his father was with him. When he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. His God, his Father did not abandon him. He was with him. And I, I would encourage you to remember that during this holy week, during this year, in our lives that are messy, in our lives that are lonely and painful and confusing, but are also shot through with grace and love. Even when we feel abandoned by God and alone, we can pray the psalm of lament. We can have hope, knowing that the Father does not hide his face from us. He hears our cries of lament. And I just want to leave you with more words of promise from Isaiah. If you could go to the last slide from the sermon, please. Where he has this hope spelled out for us. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Amen.